Hey, 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 guys. It's me, your favorite coach, Coach Tamika James. I am here with another episode of Entrepreneur Speak. Today, I have with me Miss Sharon Crumley, an amazing entrepreneur. So I am going to have Sharon to tell us a little bit about herself because I like for my guests to tell us who they are because they can tell you better than I can. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Tamika. How are you? It's so good Great. to meet you. Yeah, same here. Okay, well, I'm a mixed media artist and I create things out of uh, paper, paint, and found objects. I took on art full time after a corporate layoff and I've been doing it since 2008 when we had the recession. So you just keep plugging and things will turn around. That's, that's the attitude I'm gonna have. Wow, absolutely. So let's talk about the fact that you started back in 2008 when something happened and you just, you just made this decision. Did you have anything to stand on? Like, did you have support, like family support or anything? How did you do that? Well, I used to make doll clothes way back in the day, you know, back when, when people did that and doll clothes out of socks. So from doll clothes to my clothes to creating art. And I did have family support. Uh, my husband supported me in my decision and my kids, of course. And I just went forward and, did the scary stuff, you know, like approaching merchants and going to art shows and festivals and talking to people about my art and getting a feel from them of what they liked about the art and, you know, just observation on what I could do better. Okay. So um, I want to stay in this space for a little while because there are a lot of entrepreneurs who have um, a transition, they leave corporate and then they start their businesses. And I think a lot of people actually want to know about this space. Like, so, okay, you had support in the house. You had your, your husband, you had your children. Was it difficult? Like, were people looking at you like, hey, you better get it together. I need to see some real money coming in here. Or is there's going to be some trouble in this house? Were you, were you experiencing any of that? Like, how did that go? Well, it, there's always that. Um, people want to see you bringing in the dollars. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Uh, the challenge at first was not having enough resources because nobody knows who you are. So you, you have to get out there and make it happen. You, you have to make the connections. So what I did, like I said, I approached merchants um, on our street in, in Roswell. We have, it's a little Canton street where there's a lot of um, uh, shops and all of that. So I would go in there and ask him, you know, will you purchase this? Will you buy this? Because I, I made several different iterations. You know, it, it starts at one point and it goes to another point. So I was making these African pot holders and I went into the the store that sold the um, cooking stuff and I asked them if they wanted to buy them and she said yes. So it started there. Uh, real money, as far as real money, it takes an artist a very long time to make real, you know, like $20,000, $30,000 for one um, piece of artwork. So that's a goal I have. Underground Biz Group. Underground Biz Group. Now, what qualifies a piece of artwork to be at a high um, value? 
What what has to go into it for it to be a one thousand five ten thousand dollar piece? Well, a lot of it is how the person feels about the art because we're in the business of selling emotions. So we have to connect on an emotional level with our clients, and if if they can feel your vibe that you put into that piece, then there is a connection there. And sometimes the bigger the piece, the bigger the connection. Um, it, it just depends on where they are at the time and how they're feeling. Like I said, it, people buy a lot of art off of emotion. Okay. So when you say the bigger the piece, you're talking about like, instead of making a little two inch piece, you'll make something that's 30 inches. Is that what you mean? Oh, you'll make something that's eight feet by 10 feet. Or sometimes uh -huh. it, it, it's 48 by 40, you know, four feet by four Ooh. feet. It just depends on the skill. You know, a, a lot of times artists are self-taught like me. So it takes us a little longer. I think our runway is a little longer to get to the recognition point because, and, and there's two sides to this. You know, we don't have the school cachet to say, well, I went to, whatever the best school is, you know, for art. Uh, we just come from a whole different place. Our places, I have this intuition, I have this urge, I have this thing that I just have to do. So it, it's not may not be as technical as some of the, the people that have gone to art school, but it's intuitive. So I come from a more intuitive place because I dream about art and dream about concepts and things, so. Well, that was going to be like my next question. I was going to ask you, I would like to know, where do you get your inspiration from? Like, what makes you create a particular piece? Do you see the thing from start to finish or do you just start working and it turns out to be what it is? How, how does that go? Well, there's two ways. Sometimes I dream and I dream colors and I dream, you know, concepts and words will come and I have to write them down as soon as I Think of it like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. You don't want to, but you got to write that down because you'll never remember when you wake up. It's rarely that you'll remember. The other thing, it, it just might be how something looks like a piece of paper can be laying a certain way or a piece of fabric. can. It, it's just something and it just speaks to you. And then you just have to say, OK, I see you. And you take that and you put it into the art and you you make something of it. And it's it's. Like I said, it's just sometimes you just you just notice things. Yeah, I I enjoyed this because um, well, me and my little artsy self, I, I used to make put. <laughs> so I don't have a big artsy part of myself, but I, I do to some degree because I am very creative. But I used to make quilts, and I don't know if you can appreciate quilt making because you're an artist. I I don't know. You do. Oh, so, of course, of course. I remember that we used to get all of these different um, fabrics and they were different um, textures. Some were thin, some were thick, some had colors, some were like blank and plain. And we would add them all together and we would create this really big piece. And I remember doing that and it was so fun. So did you ever get into quilt making at all or not? No, I didn't really particularly do quilt making, but what I do is another layering technique because if I had to match all those little corners, you know, perfectly in the eighth of an inch seam, that would drive me crazy. Okay. So what I do is I just lay out stuff the way I want it to be and then I'll sew on top of it that way. 
So it, it creates the t more texture, you know, and it, it can, if you use color, different color thread, it adds more color. But quilting is awesome. I, I mean, I really appreciate people that have the time to, you know, make sure everything is just worked out just right. And I, I just, I love it, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Sometimes you have to be an appreciator. And listen, I'm over it myself too. It was just a, a small part of my life when I took like some sewing classes and art classes mm -hmm. just as a teenager. And I'm so grateful that they have, um, that they had programs like that for us to be able to delve into different things because who, who would know what a person's going to actually want to do unless they're experienced, you know, they experience certain things. So where would you say that your artistic abilities actually stem from? From my mother. She taught me to sew. And ooh, we used to battle because, you know, interfacing and all that kind of stuff. But she taught me to sew. And later on in life, I really had a, a, a deep appreciation for her time and her talent because my mother could make coats and stuff without patterns. She just cut mm -hmm. it and, and make it. But um, and in school, too, you know, back when I went to school back in the old days, they had home economics. So you learn to, to make a gym bag or you know, a pair of shorts or something like that. So it was just something and that I liked. I mean, I just like taking something and creating something else. So, mm -hmm. well, guess what? I remember home ec too. And, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I actually do. It's so funny. I end up telling my age on this podcast all the time. When I'm talking to people and I'm related to what they're saying. <laughs> well, here we are. <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah, um, I mean, I, at some point in time, I mean, maybe like my last three or four years of school, home ec wasn't um, present anymore. But yeah, I, I do remember it. I sure do. So yeah, it was a good part of our lives. It, Like I said, it helps to build up who we are. So now let's talk about the fact that you are um, the coordinator for, um, what's the name of it? For the... Roots Arts Festival. Yes, Roots Arts. Listen, say it again. It's Roots Arts Festival. Yes. Yeah, it's a festival that I started about five years ago. We're going on our sixth year. And we, it's been a challenge, you know, as far as getting recognition for the festival and then getting the word out. And we do it in conjunction with the city of Roswell. So every year Roswell has the Roots Festival. There's this Roswell Roots Festival. But this is the art festival part of that festival. Mm -hmm. So um, like I said, the city has their part of it. And then this is just one event in the city's series of events. So um, we're always looking for, you know, talented black artists. It is root. So um, that's just, it is what it is. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, how do you find artists to be a part of that? Well, what I did was I joined some art groups and I joined the uh, African-Americans for the arts in the past year or so. And just tapped in, just trying to tap into as many um, artists that I can find. I'll go to festivals and, you know, give them information on participating in our festival because it's, it's so far, it's, it's been one day. Sometimes it's two days. It just depends on, you know, the weather and things like that, because we're always inside. So uh, yeah, 
I find if I see somebody with potential, I'll just ask them or I'll give them some information about the festival. Okay. So for them to be a part of it, is it something that they just join or are they paying to be a part of it? How does that work? Yes, it is a jury festival and I should say juried festival and the, the fee is based on the location. So if we get a location where it's not as expensive to display, then we give the break to the artists. So there is a fee associated with it. And, and like I said, you have to be juried in. And it's not me that's doing the jurying. Let me just say that, you know, there's mm -hmm. another team that does that. So, um, and they make their selections and then we, we go from there. All right. So I have a question about, you said that there, you make really large art pieces as some, sometimes, right? Really large pieces. The largest that I've made is probably because my, my, I can't store them here in my studio is about four feet by four feet. Okay. Now the real question I want to ask is how do you number one, transport that, <laughs> so that it get broken? Has that ever happened? Has something ever been transported and broken? Well, something has been dropped off and at the exhibition they broke it. Oh, okay. So look, tell us a story. So I always ask for people to tell me a bedtime story. So tell me a tell me a bedtime story about a situation when your art was moved and something happened. Well, yeah, I had this was a high end art show, and I dropped the piece off. It was it was sizable. It was about three feet by two feet. And I had it professionally framed and dropped it off. And when I went to pick it up, I noticed that the frame was damaged. It was, it was broken. So I let the administrators of the show know that, you know, the frame was damaged and they were real nice about it because the framer that I used, she was able to fix it. And I just passed the cost on to the exhibition administrators and they paid for everything. So it worked out fine. It's just that you see your art and it's like, what would happen, you know, and mm -hmm. it wasn't a good feeling, but it all worked out in the end. So was it sold? No, it didn't sell, but that would have been horrible, but um, it didn't sell, but it, it needed to be returned in the condition that I gave it to them. So mm -hmm. it wasn't my insurance that was going to pay for that. It was theirs. Okay. All right. Wow. So yeah, insurance has to be involved. Okay. I'm uh, listen. Someone should be taking some notes right now to know that to be in this business, you have to have some insurance. Underground Biz Group. Underground Biz Group. You need insurance. Because something may be stolen, something may be like this situation could be damaged and there's liability. You know, most of the shows that I do right now, I have some pieces up at um, Avalon up in Alpharetta and they're in a corporate corridor, but you still need insurance. So if something happens, that's at any show that now they're requiring you to have liability insurance. So. All right. So if you place your artwork in certain places where it can be sold, how long would you leave it there before you say, oh, it's been here for some time. It hasn't um, gotten an owner. How long does it stay there? 
I like the way you said that. It hasn't gotten an owner. <laughs> yeah. You know, most of the exhibitions that I do, there some of them are 30 days, you know, 12 months. I mean, 30 days. Some are three months. So the maximum that anything has been displayed so far is three months. But what I try to do is have different art at different locations. So this up until June, I had five different locations, exhibitions that I was in. So it was just preparing, 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 you know, dropping off, picking up and stuff like that. But um, yeah, the max has been about three months. Okay. So in transitioning or, tra no, okay. When it comes to transporting your artwork, do you just own a vehicle where that allows you to transport or are you renting a vehicle every time you have to transport something? No, we have a, a SUV, a small SUV that fits everything. Um, we did a show once in um, Washington, D.C. that we did have to rent a car because it, it was a distance and it was the things that I was taking too. So it just worked out better to rent a, a, you know, a little van to take the stuff. So we did that too. Okay. I'm just asking these questions because there are so many aspects to a business that people just don't think about. Like if you have to move things around, either you're renting vehicles or you need to go ahead and purchase one that'll house all of these things, you know? So some, I'm, I'm just trying to bring the pieces of the puzzle together for an upcoming artist who needs to pay attention. Yeah, that's for sure. You have to be prepared, you know? And if you're not prepared, you have to improvise. Yes. Now, I know that you do what's called mixed media art. And at, you're also an abstract artist. Can you define exactly what those two things mean for anyone okay. who doesn't understand? Okay, mixed media art is where you take two different um, materials and you combine them to make something. So with mixed media, you may have paint and ink. They have acrylic ink that you can use that makes colors too, or watercolor and acrylic paint. It, it, or you may take some leaves out of the yard and add it to your acrylic paint on the paper. You may take fabric and add it in. It's just mixing of materials. Abstract art is coming from an inner place. It's, it's, it's abstract art is, it's like coming from your soul just about. You know, it's, it's one of the hardest art forms that you can do because you, you have to be tuned in and it's all very free but there is a method to abstract art too it's not just throwing stuff around and expecting it to look good there is a, a process and in that process you have to learn how to break the rules and still make it look presentable or you know for lack of a better word i'm surprised that there are rules when it comes to abstract art oh yeah yeah there are ways that you there are forms that you try to use, um, you know, because in art you have the design principles and you have um, the elements. So you have to combine the two to make something that's pleasing to the eye. You know, they have the Fabinacci sequence where you, it's the sequence, it, it gets real deep where it's, you know, if you look at a shell, the shell is divided into certain piece amount of pieces, spaces, and it gets into that and forms and all of that. So yeah, it's, it, it can get, get technical. Okay. Now where do you get that kind of information from? 
Well, I have been to different museums and I also have taken workshops with different artists mm -hmm. and I've done research on my own to see why does that picture look good? And it tells you because the way that the brain processes different things, especially spatial things and relationships to forms and all of that, the way that the brain processes it, it's a certain way that it looks best on the paper. So it's you tapping into that and making it your own to create your own style in that particular thing. Sharon, so, this is deep. This is deep. Oh my goodness. I had no idea. Well, it, yeah. Ooh. Now, what I would like to know is between the two different types of art that we just spoke about, which one um, brings in more revenue? <laughs> well, that's a good question. It depends on the day. <laughs> Somebody okay. might be real you know, pumped on the mixed media and another day, it, 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 it just, it really does depend. It depends on, on the crowd and that. So it, it's just that. Okay. So when you develop relationships with people who you sell the art to, um, are you, are you being strategic in that? Because you just said that it depends on who you're talking to, who you're communicating with, for whether they'll buy stuff or, you know, I, I know there's some type of method to the madness. So how do you do that? How do you reach the people you're, you're trying to you decide who you really want to connect to? I know you're gonna, of course, have to have several connections, but you said that the art that you create, there are different people that will purchase it. Mm -hmm. And you said it's also depending on their emotions at the time as well. So how do you determine where you're going to sell all of this art? Well, there's a couple of ways that, that I have sold. Um, I have a, another um, friend, acquaintance friend that has access to a group of people. They do private art shows and he likes my work and he asks for a bunch of work and because he knew his crowd. So I gave him a lot of people, maybe 10 pieces. And, you know, I sold eight of those. So he was really tuned into his crowd. Um, sometimes, to be honest, you don't know. You try to, you know, everybody says, well, you need to know who you're selling to. Well, sometimes you don't know until you sell it. And then you go back and you say, what was this person about? You know, demographic kind of stuff. So sometimes you don't know. But what I like to do, I know who my demographic is. And I like to get into art festivals in that demographic. Okay. Now, are you using social media to promote your, your work? I am using social media. I do have a website, um, www.sharoncrumleystudios.com. I'm on Instagram, Sharon Crumley underscore artist. Um, don't use Twitter a whole lot, but I do have a Twitter account, account Sharon Crumley. It's, my name is really redundant. Sometimes I get tired of hearing it myself. But um, And what I also do is I have an artist registry where I send out once a month the new art that's coming out. And I give the registry the first opportunity to see it. And if they want to purchase it, they get first dibs. And then after a couple of days, I just release it out to everybody and they can take advantage of it. Okay, I think that's something that an artist would need to know that there are registries. So that's cool. Um, are you on one registry or are there several? 
No, this is my own registry that I created. I collect your email. Oh, wait, let's start over because I, I messed that all up. <laughs> registry that you allow other artists to put their work no, up. No. No, wait, say, all right, start over. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I created a registry. I call it a registry. It's it's where I collect your email. And when I make a new piece of art, I send it out to the, that exclusive group first. Oh. And then the second people that who are not in the registry, you, you know, I'll put it on Instagram or, you know, go through the other channels that I have on social media and then just present it to the world per se. But the registry gets to see it first. Okay. Well, let me tell you what I thought that you meant was that it was a place where you upload all of your photos of your work. And there are people that actually come to the registry to take a look at it. So I was thinking of a universal place and they get access to it, but you're sending out to them. I got right. you. But that's what I was thinking you were talking about. Well, I am part of the Fulton County registry, art registry. Okay. They do have art that you can post there for their purchasing if they choose to purchase it. But yes, yeah, as far as a registry, I just created my own. So, okay. I got you. Okay. All right. So um, do you ever have artists that come to you just to get assistance so they can know exactly what they need to be doing? Have you taken anyone under your wing? I look for artists so they can take me under their wing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I've, I, well, let me just say this. Um, back before COVID, everything is BC before COVID. Um, mm -hmm. I did teach at the library, the public library here in Roswell. I taught seniors and I don't know if that qualifies as, as artists taking under your wing, but it was just creative people. We would just come to have fun. We completed a project and, you know, they went home with some free art. So I did do that with Fulton County um, through the library, the friends of the library. But as far as me taking somebody under my wing, Ooh, mm. I, I do so many things. I don't know what they would want to know. You know, it's, okay. it's, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you never know. I mean, when you have amazing work, you never know who's going to start coming like, Hey, I want to be just like you. I want to work just like you. So I see that coming. So listen, just get yourself ready. Cause okay. You know, I, I'll, I'll accept get ready. Get ready. Yes. So I would love for you to tell me about your line of inspirational art, which is called Wisdom in a Box. Right. So I created a, a fortune cookie out of a piece of fabric. I was working on a different project and I started twisting this fabric and I looked at it and I'm like, oh, that looks like a fortune cookie. And of course, with a fortune cookie, you get the fortune. So I created some art that I call Wisdom in a Box. And it's a uh, it's not a real fortune cookie. It's either made out of paper or, or something else. And it has captions on it, like, you know, words are seeds. It'll say something like that, something inspirational and motivational. Or, you know, a lion never loses sleep over the opinion of sheep. So, you know, it's, it's stuff like that that people buy and they love it. It's in a shadow box. It's real cute. I mean, it, it's, um, and it's, it's something, it's almost like starter art if you just want to start slow and just get something. So I make those and they sell really well. Okay. So now where do you sell those? 
Now those, I have them on my website and I also sell them when I do farmer's markets. Sometimes I do farmer's markets and they're well priced and people just, I had one lady buy them eight at a time. So, um, and I have different price points because as, as an artist, you have to have different price points. So I have like under 30 and those would be the wisdom in a box. And then the next price point goes up to 65 and up. So, you know, that gets you in the door of um, starting to collect something. And the, the collage on the back of the cookie is what I call it, is original artwork. So, and it's a five by seven, you know, and it's um, in a shadow box, presented in a shadow box, and it presents very well. Okay. Um, how did the pandemic affect your business? I asked you that because I was reading that a lot of people were getting art because it made people feel good. Like art is a, a feel good thing. So did it, did the, the pandemic affect you or not? Yes, it did. Um, because when you can't get out and do festivals and show your work or meet people, you have to figure out a different way. So that's when your email list is vital. And, and that's when you have to touch people. So what I did was work my email list and I had some sales, not like normal, but um, still something. But that's what I had to do. I had to figure it out. So, you know, in crisis, you, you have to think on your feet. And in business, you know, a lot of times there's no time to just sit and look up at the stars. You got to get busy. So, yeah, that, that took away 80, 90% of my income until wow. it started to turn around. So. so were you still creative during the pandemic or did your creativity slow down? No, I, I had to keep busy. So, yeah, I was still creative because... That part doesn't, for me, it doesn't stop. The, the, the intuition and all of that, it, it doesn't stop. Sometimes it's a lot, but when you feel it, you got to go with it because once it's gone, you, you, you know, back doing the, the stuff that you just know that you need to do. So when I, when that hits, I just have to go with it. And I tell my husband, look, I'm in the zone. I got to work. So let me work. And uh, it usually works out pretty good. Now, how long do you work on your art? Do you have like time restraints where you're like, okay, I, I can only work on something for two or three hours? Or do you find yourself up all night long making sure it's done? Well, usually I work on more than one piece at a time. So I'm, I may have four or five things going at a time. So okay. it's, it's just a matter of completion sometimes just to complete it not brushed or anything like that, but you know, you, you set it and you look at it and you have to look at, well, for me, I have to look at it to see exactly what it needs because it'll tell you, you know, give me a little more red over here or put a little pink over here. It'll, it'll, it'll speak. So, um, there's not a time, you know, sometimes I am up out there at four in the morning and, you know, then I go back to bed. But uh, most of the time, it's it's um, hours at a time, and it's 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 in the studio. I mean, it's 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 a grind sometimes, like everything else. But it's the grind that you like, that you really take pleasure in. So, okay. Now, tell me about purchasing materials. So, are you 
walking into a place? Are you ordering things online? Like, how do you know what to pick up to incorporate into your art? Well, I have base materials. These are things that I know that I'm going to need all the time. And then there's the extras, the inspirational things that pop up like different papers because I, I like papers. I like textures. So I might, you know, it, it may be a mulberry paper or, or different kinds of papers that I use, handmade paper. Um, I buy some from this guy. He's down on the south side and his papers are just wonderful. Um, but paint and stuff, it, it all that stuff, it's colors, you know, and you just pick. Well, for me, I like color, so it, I don't run the gamut, but I know how to mix to make other colors. So the paint and that um, ink, you know, different inks, acrylic ink, alcohol ink. I guess I just, just like to get stuff and experiment because I do experiment a lot with what I do because I want to see if that works with that. And when it works, it's good. I mean, it's it's great. When it doesn't, it just sits to the side until you can circle back around and see how to make it work. Okay. Um, what about glues? Like, are there specific glues that you do or don't use? Anything that you can share with an artist? Well, it depends on what kind of paper you're using. Um, usually, it's, it's yellow. Yoo-hoo. It's a glue stick. I like glue sticks. And there's also medium. It's it, it that's what it's called, um, medium. That's good for if you if you're using heavy heavy paper. The glue sticks I use mainly for more lightweight paper and and some fabrics. Um, there's also Elmer's glue that you can use, but not straight out of the bottle. You mix it, and you can use that for certain things too. So. You know, glues are important, and even rubber cement. I use rubber cement mm -hmm. to make textures. So, you know, there's that. Yeah, I really wanted to say, what do you use to hold everything together? But the word glue came out of my mouth because <laughs> the first thing I, <laughs> That's okay. but I can only imagine that there are different things that you have to use to hold um, things, pieces together, especially when the um, the artwork gets really large. So, oh yeah, so, yeah, okay. you have to make sure that your adhesives are gonna hold because ooh, it's a disaster if stuff starts falling off after you have it framed or or if you don't frame it and it's still falling off so that's not good okay now how many times have you put something in one spot and you look and you were like no way it cannot stay there and then you had to like rip it off like how many times uh, you do that a lot because <laughs> or either you rip it off or you leave it there and put something over it okay yeah, sometimes you just, look, that's not working. Let's just put something over. Or you paint over it so that you have a fresh start or, you, you know, that one spot or whatever. But yeah, you, yeah, no, just to leave okay. it is not good enough. So now how do you see yourself in about five years from now doing what you do? In about five years, I see myself with pieces in the Smithsonian in D.C. that the... Ooh. Yeah, the, the, you know, the museum up there, the African-American uh, museum, I see myself in there. Um, that's one big thing. And then they have out in LA, they have uh, the Black Art Museum out there. I'd like to have something there too. 
Okay. So, yeah. Oh, well, I'd like to see it there too. So I want to know when it happens. My goodness. Well, I'll keep in touch and let you know. Yes, please. So what would you say um, to someone who is just starting becoming an artist so that they don't go down the wrong road, like just so they can have great success? Well, I don't know if there is a wrong road because that road is going to take you somewhere that you may need to see and then you can circle yeah. back because there's no straight lines. You know, nothing is a straight line. It's it's sometimes you think, well, yeah, I'm wasting my time, but no, sometimes it, that's just the, the off ramp for you to go to explore something else that may be beneficial. So yeah, just know that there's no straight lines. Right. Well, not to your destination. Now you do want straight lines in your artwork sometimes, but okay <laughs> all right so let's tell them something you did tell us a bedtime story already but anything that they really need to stay away from don't do this because it's going to take you too long to get to where you need to go well i guess i'm of the mind that i don't know what to tell you not to do because sometimes those things lead you to greater things. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you're saying, you know, don't waste your money on an art course, I wouldn't say that because it may be one nugget in that class that'll get you to the next level. So as far as, as what not to do, what I would say is don't delay. If you feel it, do it. You know, in a positive, I'm not saying go spend a whole bunch of money on a whole bunch of stuff. But I am saying, if you feel inspired, don't put it on the shelf. Okay. You know, take it and run with it. But as far as don't, artists is really wide open these days. It's not like it used to be, you know, the old masters where you had to have everything just, so, it's not like that anymore. So just, hey, find yourself, locate yourself, and then do that. So. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I know. It's like there's so many different roles that or so many different things that can be done. Um, as you said, I really feel like everything happens for a reason. I think you're kind of going in that direction. Like you just don't know why you were introduced to this, why you experienced exactly. that. You don't really know. And I, I, for me, I just don't wish to change any part of my life that even the stuff I didn't like. I don't wish to change it. <laughs> Oh, because it made me who I am today. Like I'm cautious because of certain things. I um, know more about blank because I experienced blank. Um, okay. I'll never do certain things because of experiences. So yeah, um, I, I get exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So are you still, are you still really excited after all of the years of being an artist? Yes, because... There's always something new to discover. And I tell, I tell my kids this all the time. Whatever you want to know, you can type it in and find it. We had to go to the library and find an encyclopedia, do a whole bunch of research, and you still might not get the exact thing that you want. You type in some words in Mr. Google, and he'll tell you. You go on YouTube, and they will tell you. So... It's wide open. I mean, it's if, if I have an idea that I think nobody else has done and I'll type it in and see and somebody is doing it, but not quite like the way I want to do it, 
that's inspiration for me because you know my thing is this if you couldn't do it you couldn't think of it so if you can think of it to do it's finding the way to get it done so it, especially with art it's 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 wide open it it really is wide open it's it's your your intuition, your feeling, your representation of yourself on a, a wall, a piece of paper, a, a board or something, that's you representing something in yourself at that moment. Okay. I want to ask about, you know, we hear about the starving artists, right? Okay. Because that can that can happen to some folks, right? Yeah. Nope. It's like, no, we don't want to talk about it, right? I don't but, believe in the starving artists because- no. No, because that came out of in Paris when the bourgeois wanted to appear to be starving, to be called starving artists. They wanted to plug into the art scene, mm -hmm. so but they were wealthy, so they wanted to appear like they were starving, and that's where oh, they really? came. Yes, so that's that's kind of where that came from. No, I don't. Mm -mm. Uh, anything okay. that deals with lack, I don't, I don't. I, I got you. I got you. Now, let me tell you where my question, my, where my question really derives from. When you create artwork there, it has to be assessed at some point by someone mm -hmm. who will pay you, who will give you a certain amount of money for your work. When you're working, do you work on pieces so that you'll get the highest amount of return? Like, are you focusing on that? when you create something? No, because you can't guess what somebody will like. You can only present yourself in that, in that medium. And if they like it, then they will buy it. I mean, it's, it's, I hope I'm answering the right question. It, it, there's no way to track. It's like when an, a, a, a singer makes a song, do they really know that that song is gonna hit big all the time sometimes yes because you you have that gut feeling but for the most part when you're creating at, at least for me when I'm creating I'm creating out of a sense of myself because that's just that's just the way that I see it you know I'm, mm, mm -mm. yeah I'm just wondering how do you gauge um the fact that you just spent two hours creating this piece, right? That's, I'm just making up numbers mm -hmm, here. Mm -hmm. So you spent two hours and you potentially will make uh, $100 from this piece of, of art. Or um, you put in three days and you know that you're basically intending to make $3,000. So is there any measure of time up against the piece of art that you're making up against the amount of money that you'll make? Because I don't know if you're making pieces that are consistently gonna only bring you back, you know, twenty dollars for each piece. Like, how how does all of that? How do you measure that? To and that's where I asked the starving artist thing. It was just kind of a word that I heard mm -hmm. of, and I really wanted to be able to for you to give an artist some information on how do they gauge what they're making against their time, against the materials, against the 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 size of it, and all of that to make sure that they're making items that are really going to sell at the highest value. Exactly. And that's exactly what you're talking about value. So one way to 
price art, there's a formula that you can use to price your art. Oh, tell us about it. <laughs> uh, well, there's there's one. I'll, I'll share one way with you. One way is to measure the art, add up the size of the art. Say if your art is eight by ten, eight and ten is eighteen, and then you add a factor to it. You can multiply that by three and add you know ten percent on top of that, and that's your price. You can do that. Other times it's, it's perceived value. Now, if you look at the Mona Lisa, which I have had the opportunity to see in real life, yes. I saw it too, yeah, I went there, yeah. Yeah, did you? Mm-hmm. Did you like it? I mean, that, I mean, it's, to me, it was incredible that this, and it's not that big. Right. So it's perceived value, right? So, yeah. um, when you look at it like that, I mean, I think the Mona Lisa is maybe 18 by 24, maybe. But the value, people think, oh, this is so wonderful and it's it's so old. You know, it's worth, they can't even put a value on it anymore. They stopped doing it because it's priceless. Oh. So, um, so how do you get to a price or how do you get to a price versus value? Is that the one and the same? Yeah. Or? Okay. Now, what one way you can approach it is if my art is, is measures, like I said, eight by 10, the price is going to be X because I know I can make that piece of art in X amount of time. You can do that. Right. Way. This is what I'm asking. Yeah. Right. You can do that way. Another way is for that same piece of art. If I do more or more in depth, or I have a different emotion when I'm creating it, it the perception is when somebody looks at it, that they can relate to the emotion that you put in it. So it's it's value beyond the art. And, and that's such a hard concept to explain. Sometimes you create art and, and people relate it to a memory. Okay, so there's an artist who goes to wineries and they create these vineyards, arts, you know, paintings of vineyards in that. The experience is when you go to the winery and you taste the wine and you walk around the vineyard and you see all these wonderful things, you want to have the memory of that experience. So she sells the memory of that experience. So that would be the value that that art has. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Otherwise, you know, like I said, you can do your price your art in a very um, methodical way and, and some people do so okay I just want to be able to help any artist that's listening right now to know which direction to go in I, I do understand that like you said it's uh, for you it's your your intuition helps you to create you you feel a certain way and you just start moving but I know that there's some strategy in there in regards to I'm not going to make this little tiny piece that is going to have a perceived value of just $5. Right. So I'm not going to do it because, so that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't want an artist that doesn't understand which way to go to begin to create things that don't really support them. Even though there are going to be so many times when they're just going to create based upon how they feel. You're, you're just going to still have to do that. And I can relate to that in the beauty industry because um, mm-hmm. I was very creative in the beauty industry. I would service a client and 
yeah, I do this really creative thing, this big old ponytail and this big, <laughs> all these colors, and then we would put rhinestones on their hair and we would have other things hanging off and we would spray colors. And because we assess the value at $50, most people are getting $50 for a ponytail, but now I added all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. I have to decide if I'm going to charge you more. But because I'm creative and I created more, now I have to tell the client, oh, I did a little more create creativity today. It's going to be another $100 and they're going to look at you like you're crazy. So, yeah, I mean, in different spaces, different things um, can work. But I know that creativity, it, it's really hard to place a value on some of those things. Mm -hmm. So I just hope that the artists that are listening right now um understand what to do so with me being in business i'm an entrepreneur and so are you i no longer look at thing, things the way i did when i first started out mm -hmm. i was super creative i remember i worked in a salon and um they ended up making me the weave uh specialist right oh nice title and i became that so it's funny that they put that title on me and that's what i became for the rest of my career but what I want to say is she was charging by the hour at the time. And this is oh, in the wow. early 90s, okay? So back then, we were able to get $250 for a weave. Some people still can't charge $250 today. Really? But back then, yeah, back then it was $250 and it was, you know, by the hour and stuff like that. But here's what I want to say about the whole thing. At that time, I was so creative to the point where I left that salon. Because I wanted to do the fun and fancy ponytails. And that salon actually only had, um, you know, corporate women there, doctors, mm -hmm. lawyers, and different things like that. I couldn't do that fun stuff on them. Mm -hmm. So because of the creativity I had inside of me, I left. But then I found myself struggling to get back to making that kind of money five, ten years later. And mm -hmm. then I turned my business into what I walked away from. So mm -hmm. when I say this right now... I like to fast track for people, even though as an artist, it, it comes from within. So it's a little different. But if you can be strategic with it, I want them to be more strategic than not mm -hmm. and to understand what to do and what not to do. So, yeah, I fought for years just to get back to that salary. Wow. Yeah, because of my create my creativity. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't give it up for a world. I wouldn't change anything. But I would want more strategy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, as far as strategy there are books available and people have, which I had to remind myself to go look at my book. There's an artist, her name, I'm going to, can I give her a shameless plug? Yeah, of course. Okay. Her name is Maria Brophy and she wrote this book called Art Money Success. And in this book, she outlines a way, not the only way, but a way to approach your business, art business career. There are other um, artists who have created different plans. You know, if, if you are an illustrator, these are some possibilities for you to, to research to see if, if, if that's the plan you want to follow. Um, it's not all, you know, airy fairy stuff. I mean, this is a business. Yeah, it, it's it's um, the business principles that apply to your business applies to this business as well. It's mm -hmm. just that this is the creative side. You know, you're using the other side of your brain and not the 
I used to be in computer science, so not that part. And it, there's a word for it. I'll think of it tomorrow. When you get old, stuff happens like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, it's not all just, you know, you're throwing darts at a board. It's not that. Right. That's what I'm getting at. Right. You can't be strategic. Yeah. Be strategic. You can be a corporate artist. You can, you know, sell to the corporate people like IBM and all those kind of people, those kind of clients. Or you can do murals. I mean, you can do murals for the city or the county or stuff like that. It just depends on your approach. And you have to, like I said, you have to locate yourself and see where you want to fit in. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, no, it's, it's not all shot in the dark. Right. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Thank no, you. It's, so much. it's not. You, you have yeah. to have a plan. Just like any other business, you need a plan. And a lot of times, a lot of artists don't understand that part, that it is a business. They think they're just creating stuff and selling stuff, but you still got to do that plan. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you so much. So listen, artists that that are out there who are watching or listening to this, keep being creative. Let your creative juices flow, but please be strategic at the same time. That's all I personally am asking. And thank you for sharing um, some ways that they could figure that out, especially given a resource like the book that you just spoke about. So I want to say thank you to you so much for being here, um, spending your time to talk to my audience who are entrepreneurs who are looking to just take themselves to the next level. Um, Some people who are listening haven't started their businesses. Some people are trying to figure out what else they're going to get into. And um, some people are just scaling their businesses at this point. So I thank you so much for being here with all of your information. I'm really proud of you. I'm waiting to see you in the Smithsonian. I know (laughs) it's going to happen, so I can't wait till the day comes. So if you want to leave the audience with your information and any closing comments that you may have, feel free to do so now because I want them to be able to connect with you so um, that they can get the things that you're offering and um, be able to see your art as well. Okay. Well, closing comments, I just want to say, just like any business, you need administrative days, you need creative days, selling days, marketing days. It's all of that. So go ahead and please tell us how they can find you and what you offer. Okay. Uh, My website is www.sharoncrumleystudios.com. Instagram is at Sharon Crumley underscore artist. And I create mixed media art out of paper, paint, fabric and findings and i also create abstracts and i i am non-representational i do not make trees and faces and all of that that's not what i do so but i do make mixed media art so awesome thank you tamika i really appreciate you taking the time to let me speak on your show and I, i just have so much respect for you for um reaching out to someone else, you know, to, to share your, your, your light with someone else. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you again. And we're going to close out with another episode of Entrepreneur Speak with Tamika James. Have a great one till next time, guys. Underground Biz Group. Underground Biz Group.